1: Hello and welcome to another episode of Zero Ducks Given on the eve of the T20 World Cup semi-finals which are not necessarily taking the shape that we were expecting to when we discussed them this time last week. Although Stephen Finn, who I rarely compliment and rarely gets anything correct in his entire life, you were sort of half right about something last week, Finney, because you said that South Africa would bottle the semi-finals. And they did one better. They managed to somehow bottle even getting into the semi-finals. even by South Africa's incredible bottling standards. This was amazing after they lost to the Netherlands, which meant that Pakistan, who had written off this time last week, snuck in to play New Zealand on Wednesday morning, if you're listening in the UK. Finney, I mean, once or twice a country bottling it in a major tournament could be seen as bad luck, but... There's genuinely something in the DNA with South Africa, isn't there?
0: It seems that way, doesn't it? They've got an unbelievably talented side,
1: a fantastic bowling
0: attack, especially. But yeah, I, I don't know whether it's, it's a thing. You know, they, they can't handle the pressure, um, which I can't imagine is the case. So they've just been unlucky in certain situations. But yeah, it seemed like a lapse in concentration that cost them against the Netherlands, maybe slightly underestimating what the Netherlands could do. And that's opened the door for Pakistan, who, yeah, even a couple of days ago, would have thought that they were going to be
1: going home. Now, let's check in with Daniel Norcross. First of all, Daniel, what sort of state are you in this week? Because you've just been at an event for the Barmy Army. How? What was the event and how did it go?
2: Yeah, yeah that, that was fine. It was in front of my people. It was lovely. Alex Hartley, Jim Maxwell. It was lovely to meet up with Jim again. And uh, there was a Q&A and it was all... Absolutely charming, and we got to chat about cricket. But how I am generally—I I mean, existentially—I I don't suppose you've seen. I mean, who, who would? But I've been hanging around with two children basically for the last five weeks: Henry and uh, Henry Moran and Alex Hartley, and they drag you into these appalling situations. These videos that we have to make, in which we describe what's you know going to happen, in which. I am humiliated with hats and sitting on pigs for the pleasure of hoi polloi. I, 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 Toby, and a trained actor reduced to the status of a bum while I'm out here. And I'm struggling. It started relatively early. And being in Australia, as I may have explained on this podcast before, Last Orders was at 9.30. So... Um, I'm afraid I haven't had the opportunity to get hammered. I did make the sensible precaution of stopping by a bottle, and getting myself a bottle of Sauvignon Blanc, but the fridge, yet again in this uh, room in Sydney, is a trifle too warm for my liking. So, yeah, not everything's going well. Every Australian
1: that I've ever met has been essentially a functioning alcoholic, and yet it's very difficult to buy alcohol and to get extremely drunk in places in Australia. And I think it's like... Those kids at school that were really badly behaved always used to have the strictest parents. It doesn't work. Yeah. It just makes alcohol a sort of forbidden fruit for Australians. Oh, so yeah. when they finally do get access to it when they're older, they they don't know how to handle it.
2: Well, do you know where I was did, did I did I day on did I t- did I tell you I was refused entry to a place the other day. Yeah, good. So, well, we were coming back. We ca- literally came back from the SCG. We hadn't had a single drink. We walked up to the the. It's, they call themselves hotels but it's a pub and there were four pissed up Aussies in front of us who were remonstrating with the uh, bouncer at the front and then they went and then we said can we come in and he said no I have reason to believe you're intoxicated he couldn't possibly have had reason to believe we are intoxicated because we we're stoked we not had a single drink for nearly 24 hours I mean imagine <laughs> it literally imagine it it was a double, it was a double header and I'd Got to bed about one o'clock the night before. It was now about half eleven. I needed to get in to watch Pakistan against Zimbabwe. It's a bloody brilliant game. The amount of remonstrating I had to do to get in there. Well, sweet talking, you know, all that. To be fair, I mean, nightmare. you
1: are a man that looks permanently shit-faced even when you're sober. <laughs> you, you kind of just have that demeanour of a sort of town drunk. Of all the time.
2: I'm just tired. I'm tired. I'm tired of the stupidity of people around me. I, I, I mean, it just... It, Takes its toll, Tobes. Takes its toll. Now, Finney, we mentioned there
1: about Australians because, like I say, in my experience, every Australian I've ever met has been genuinely a functioning alcoholic. Some of them not functioning. Is there, an ex- in your experience, you've played of every single nationality that over your cricket career? Are the Australians notorious, or are the English worse, or is it the South Africans or the West Indians, or?
0: Uh, I think the South Africans are notoriously bad drunks. I've not met many good South African drunks. Um, I think that's a fair assumption to make. The Australians, yeah, they're a mixed bag.
2: What do you mean by bad? They get a bit sort of like boisterous, do they?
0: Yeah, a bit boisterous, a bit uh, rugby laddie, like oh, I did, yeah, uh, initiation events at my fancy school in South Africa. Yeah, yeah there, there's a bit of that about them, I think, when they get drunk. So, yeah, it's not the most pleasant experience, probably
1: fair to say. Yeah, South Africans okay. are all like that. They're a strange bunch of South Africans. They're, they're sort of fun and sort of moody and miserable and boring at the same time. They're a strange... Kiwi, kiwi
2: drunks? Kiwi drunks? Sorry, what, what, what are they? Do they, do they? just Very cuddly and friendly
0: yeah. and just... But then, yeah. if you because they're all big fellas, I remember... Actually, there was there was a game that we played in Cardiff in 2011 where Chris Tremlett bowled Sri Lanka out on, on the last day when there was, yes. should never have been a result. And Tremlett, I, I think, it. got five for 40 or, or something, bowled unbelievably well and bowled them out. So we had a night out in Cardiff to celebrate. This is when you're allowed out at the hotel after you won a test match. And we went to... A big nightclub in Cardiff. I can't think what it's called. Big, massive, like, student-y sort of nightclub in Cardiff. And And the Barbarians rugby team were there. So it was the England cricket team and the Barbarians rugby team in this private area of of this nightclub in Cardiff. And we ended up having a scrum. So the England cricket team against the Barbarians, we had a scrum in this private room (laughs) with each other and, and all ended up in a heap on the floor. But it was all very friendly. Yeah, there were no kicks and and little digs and punches underneath the scrum. So yeah, I, I'd say they're they're fun but boisterous.
1: I'd imagine the to key. be fair, Chris Tremlett could pretty much hold his own against the Barbarians. He's probably the only cricketer in history who could actually just about go toe to toe with one of those guys.
0: He'd probably be a number eight though, wouldn't he? He wouldn't be in the like he, he wouldn't be in the guts of the scrum. Mm. Yeah, um, might,
2: maybe a flanker. Yeah, yeah, It yeah. could, could be a lock. It could be a lock. He's very tall. I'd be mean, a very.
0: I think I'd be a winger. I was, I, I, I'd definitely be a winger. A bit of pace, get those legs open enough and just try and wipe people out down the wing. You're a
1: bit tall for that. bit of pace. What pace is this?
0: I win the pre-season sprint tests every year at every place I've been. So don't
1: worry about me. You, you know what? That's why Sussex are probably doing so terribly. You can't chase the ball every time it goes to the boundary if you're the quickest. They must run sevens. <laughs>
0: I would, I would love to see you in preseason. You know, as part of this podcast, I will get you along to Sussex pre-season fitness testing. Oh, I would yeah. love to watch you run a two k, do the sprint tests. I'd love to see those little feeble legs doing the strength tests as
2: oh, well. Christ, can you imagine? I'd, I'd I, I can, can, yeah. I'm imagining nothing. I can like that
0: imagine right now. actually, and it would be, it would be an absolute shambles. But I'd love to see it.
1: Me and uh, even uh, uh, at least a year ago, I could have relied on Ollie Robinson, but even he's a gym freak now. I'd have just hid behind him. Exactly. Uh, I've got nothing. It's going to (laughs) be Finney and Joffrey Archer running rings around me. I think that's a terrible idea. And I can't imagine that any of our listeners would like to see that, let alone Daniel Norcross.
2: Uh, By the way, because you're always very solicitous in asking us how we're getting on, although you haven't asked me about actually being at the bloody game when South Africa lost to the Netherlands. Thanks to that unbelievable catch by Roller Fandomerva. But oh, I've just noticed we never ask about you. And this week, it's been big for you because you had to get up well early so that you can watch basically the big boss man get paid, I don't know, hundreds of thousands of pounds. Uh, and is has he eaten a single kangaroo penis yet? I'm not sure that he has, has he? Well, at the time of recording, so for people
1: listening don't know what the hell Daniel's going on about, because it always staggers me how much a man who works in radio never resets mm. for anything. But, no, I'm um, just
2: leaving it to you. I leave it to you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm
1: currently covering the Radio X Breakfast show, covering Chris Moyles, whilst he goes into I'm a Celebrity Get Me Out of Here, And I did feel a little bit shortchanged. The first episode. He was just sat in Australia eating prawns and fruit with one of the very attractive girls from Love Island. And I thought, hang on, I thought uh-huh. we were going to be, you know, shoving kangaroo testicles up his jacksie or whatever they do on that show. But And then episode two, it was a little bit better. He got put in a water tank and it filled with water gradually and he nearly drowned. But it's not enough. I want, I want a lot more torture. Plus, don't forget, if it goes horribly, horribly wrong, yeah. it could be a, huge for my career. So you know, when next time he's confronted by a snake or a spider or an alligator, I'll be rooting for the animal. Because... Hang on,
2: I don't, Tobes, I I, I don't like to dispose you. This it's not quite how it works. You're basically deputising while he's away. Mm. If he dies, they'll mm. then go and hire a proper breakfast oh, yeah. show host. That's a very good point. Because so, yeah. you're not going to pick
1: me as the name and face of your station, are you?
2: I wouldn't have thought so.
1: I'm not even the name and face of this podcast <laughs> and there's fucking three of us. <laughs> at least we're earning loads of money from it. Yeah, that's the good thing. Yeah. £92.64.
2: Bring it on. Oi.
1: Anyway, it's very much... It's very enjoyable watching Chris at the jungle and he's doing very well so far. But I have to admit, I, I went and hosted, actually... I went and hosted a Club Cricket Awards due on Saturday night for our good friend, John Gordon, who... Runs oh, yeah. Woodstock, the greatest cricket bats and crickets equipment in the world. And so I yeah. went to go and host the awards do at his club up in Nottingham sort of area. And the trains were a nightmare because of the strikes. And so I had to get the replacement bus on the way there between Hitchin and Luton. And on the way I saw back that I did... you hated
2: that, didn't you? Hitchin <laughs> Hitchin. To but did, did it not get worse? Was is Peterborough not get involved at some well, point? Well then right. on the way back
1: I had to do Peterborough to Nottingham. Uh, sorry, oh. Nottingham to Peterborough, which was even worse because oh. I had the most stinking hangover. Um, so I did look at Chris Moyles hanging out with Love Island stars and Boy George and earning God knows what amount of money and Mike Tindall. So essentially, Chris Moyles is hanging out on ITV of Anton Deck and the Royal Family right now earning a fortune. And I'm sitting on replacement buses. So, has he you, shaken
2: hands? Has he shaken hands with Matt Hancock or has he continuously avoided it?
1: Matt Hancock hasn't gone into the jungle yet, but I'm very, very mm. excited to see that meeting of minds. Very, very excited indeed. But uh, anyway, to sum up, thank you for asking, Daniel. Yes, I'm fine. Now, we have gone on a huge diversion, which is so unlike this podcast. And I will return to the T20 World Cup semi finals in a bit, in particular, England. However, there's a couple of things that I need to discuss before we get onto that, because Stephen Finn who is not a modest man by any stretch of the imagination. You know, he likes to tell us about this time that he was quite good at cricket and how he's the fastest person at Sussex and la dardy da di da Well, last week, and Daniel, you won't remember this because you were absolutely shit-faced. I was, yeah. I, I asked Stephen Finn about the best catch of his career
2: oh,
1: and yeah. he couldn't really remember one in particular. And well,
0: I've if- I found one. I thought of one. I have thought of
2: one. Now it is week. It, now, which hang one on, is it? hang because, on, he has, hang on, hang on. Why didn't I mention this? Didn't you take an unbelievably good court and bold?
0: I think that's the one I mentioned, but I've thought of a better one.
1: Yes. Well, he mentioned his court and bold. Like I said, Daniel, you, you rem- won't remember any of this. You were absolutely <laughs> yeah, shit. No,
2: not, uh, no, no, you're right. Yeah.
1: Stephen Finn did take an absolute <laughs> screamer. Can you remember the batsman and can you remember the catch that we're talking about, Finney? Because several listeners tweeted us in the week.
0: I've not read my tweet, so I'm not cheating here, but I'm going to guess that it was off Steve Smith, like a one-handed screamer at mid-wicket against Australia at Old Trafford in an ODI. That is exactly the catch
2: that several listeners sent us. I commentated that catch. I commentated that catch on on TMS. Do you know what
0: happened with that catch as
2: well? Did you drop it, really?
0: The the catch, so Alex Hales was at deep mid-wicket and the ball before, he was screaming at me saying, let's swap, let's swap that's what happens to bowlers whenever they get put into a semi-important position. You just get moved out of there because there's some batter who thinks he's got better hands than you. And he was shouting at me saying, let's swap.
2: Alex Hales, of all people. Well, he's got
0: good hands, to be fair. Um, he was shouting, let's swap, let's swap. And I turned around to him. I said, go away. Um, and and I, I'm going to stay here myself. And then the next ball, he whipped it through mid-wicket. And I took a one-handed screamer. And then you can see in my celebrations, I turn around and I start pointing at him straight away. Then he comes and gives me a big running bear hug. It was, yeah, that was one of my favourite ones.
2: Was that 2016?
0: 15, seven years ago.
2: 2015 at Old Trafford. I think that was either my first or my second men's ODI for TMS. And and I remember I I squealed. I think I squealed. (laughs)
1: I can't believe that Finny be failed to mention it. It was very this. good. I teed you up well, you, to be arrogant, I and you weren't. He's, he's, yeah, yeah. I, yeah,
0: I've I've taken a path of modesty recently, and and it's serving me well.
2: Really? Have you recently met the Dalai Lama or something? What's going on?
0: No. i Have you to be found enlightenment? About myself, I just decided to be slightly more humble about myself, and, and you know, mm. not big up the fact that first is the fifty test wickets and. Taken 250 of international wickets and yeah, yeah, TMS superstar.
1: You know, just I, I don't like talking yeah. about those things. I doesn't anymore. like talking about it. It, it. He's a new humble <laughs> human being. I tell you what, I mean, just, I don't know, why, why am I doing this? Why am I giving Finney even airtime? But do you know what's worse? I, I see Finney once a week on this podcast, which would be enough for some people, but I'm scrolling through social media the other day and I see a statistic and it's the most wickets for England before the age of 25. Now, Daniel oh. Norcross. Oh. Is it me, you, is it? Well, would you like to go through the list, Daniel Norcross? Most, it's in all in all forms of cricket. But uh, most in all wickets forms of... for well, England before 25. Would you like to well, hazard Ian, any guesses?
2: Ian Botham would be high up there because he started when he was about 21, 22, and he got to 100 wickets in his first couple of years in Test cricket. But of course, they didn't play as much Mickey Mouse cricket, which Finney might have picked up some cheap hat tricks, you know, with people getting caught at long on and deep mid wicket and bollocks like Are you that. joking? So, I mean, I, cur- no, no, the currency no, I'm not of having wickets. This. I'm not having this. Have you
0: seen some of those wickets <laughs> that Botham got? not in nineteen
2: seventy. Not in nineteen seventy-nine. He didn't. He was he was oh, hard as nails. And he please, was quick, baby. He was quick. Um. Oh, what I mean, sham. there aren't many. There aren't many young bowlers. There aren't many young because it's effectively we don't trust bowlers when they're young. Anderson, no. He was out of the side quite early before he came back in again, but he did get a lot of ODI wickets. Do you want me to
1: let you know how it's you're both getting of- on so far, Norcross?
2: How's both of
1: Both of <laughs> them is second on the list with 189. Jimmy that Anderson is, is fourth fitty, on it? the list with 157. Yeah. Top is miles like that, ahead. Top is miles ahead of 272.
0: 272
2: oh. before 25? Yeah. Is it Stuart Broad? It is Stuart Broad. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's probably a fair <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> yeah, he, th- he still thought it was him. He still thought it was him. No, no, I didn't. No, I didn't. I didn't. As soon as I heard 170, I was nowhere
1: near. However, sandwiched in between Ian Botham and Jimmy Anderson is Zero Ducks Given's very own Mr. Stephen Finn. 174 Wait. wickets before 25. I mean, he finished uh, on about 175. You know, it was all downhill after that, but... <laughs> Not bad company you're in there with Finney. Broad, Botham and Anderson. Uh,
0: well, I suppose it just signifies a career wasted, really, because I should have <laughs> took a lot more wickets for England than I have. Yeah, it makes me slightly sad to think no. that I did a majority of my best work before the age of twenty five. Which
2: don't yeah, think, don't think, it. don't think of it like that. Don't think of it like very,
0: that.
2: very depressing. Yeah. Don't think of it like that. George Best, George Best, all of his best work was behind him by the time he was twenty seven. His best work was off the funny football pitch. <laughs> well, there was a little bit of that too. <laughs> Great, Greatest footballer I've ever lived. And uh, So, you know, you can forget your Maradonas. You can take your Pele's and your Messi's and your Ronaldo's and you can... I mean, I don't know much about football, as you know. Although I do appear to be top of the fantasy football league, but that's another matter. We'll come to that later. George Best. You're the George Best, basically, of cricket. And that's quite a good thing, apart from the... Yeah, but know, if I'd have ruined it by
0: having late nights and sleeping with Miss World, then then that's fair enough. But oh, I, think, I think my undoing was all my own
1: doing, which is, again, a complete shame. What's the George Best was quote? Was it as, Ethel? As, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. George Best never had Ethel, though, so he wins that. But what was the George Best quote he once got? He, was, he
2: once said... It's, he's got two Miss Worlds, two Miss Worlds, room service comes in, and room service looks at him, dishevelled, surrounded by champagne, and says, "Where did it all go wrong, George?" And he, he did, it doesn't need to be a quote because after that, George just sort of looks puzzled and thinks, "What's gone wrong? What do you mean? What's gone wrong?" And I've just <laughs> drunk <tried> three <laughs> bottles of champagne and I'd text with Miss World, and that is an insight into George Best's mind.
1: <laughs> I don't know what's better: scoring a winner at Anfield or sleeping with Miss World. Luckily for me, I've done both. <laughs> it's quite a good yeah. quote. As much I as mean, it pains me to him. admit, that's a that's a fairly impressive one. Um. Well, look, Finny. Like I said earlier, you know, you may be upset that your best year is behind you at twenty-five, but Norcross still hasn't had his best years And he's about he's got about one hundred and five. So I wouldn't one hundred and twenty-five. I know it could be worse. <laughs> well, my
2: best, my, my best days are yet to come. I'm I'm going back to Joe Bernard and I'm going to buy a couple more linen shirts tomorrow. I can't wait. <laughs> it's time for today's Lucky Land horoscope with Victoria
0: Cash.
1: Let's get into some proper cricket here. Come on. So, um, South Africa did bottle it. Pakistan are through to the semi finals against New Zealand, and England are through to the semi finals against India. I want to start with New Zealand, Pakistan, because, I mean, they're sort of perennial overachievers in many ways but if New Zealand have been the nearly men so many times in recent years and I mean they're everybody's team that you want to win if you're not an England fan surely surely Finney if not England everybody's rooting for New Zealand in that game
0: well yeah I think even England fans would be rooting for New Zealand I think that the, the, the way that they play cricket the way that they are how humble they are when they've been beaten before I think Lends itself to everyone supporting them. So, yeah, if England weren't to go through, then you would, I, I would wholeheartedly be supporting New Zealand in the rest of the tournament. And I'd love to see them in another world final. I've got a few friends in that team and they're all fantastic fellas. And I think
1: they do deserve another shot at a world title. It, it's going to be a great game because New Zealand have sort of been pretty good throughout the tournament and Pakistan have sort of snuck in through the back door to get through to the semi finals. And that word momentum that everybody loves using. During a knockout tournament, and well, I'm clearly no better because Pakistan have now got that momentum going into the semi-final against New Zealand. Um, what do you make of that that semi-final Norcross? It's sort of um it's sort of a free hit, it feels like, for Pakistan after the way that they managed to qualify.
2: Exactly. I'm really looking forward to it. And um the pitches out here have been getting nastier and nastier. And I why I think that'll play into Pakistan's strengths is that they're set up to play on pretty crap pitches. They basically have this idea that you've got these two brilliant openers in Barber and Rizwan, and they will give you a platform. And they'll get only 155, 160, but that'll be enough because they've got four fabulous quick bowlers. Harris, Ralph, Mohammed Wasim, Nazim Shah, Shine Shah, Afridi, backed up by two very serviceable spinners in Shadab and Iftika. And as the pitches get a little bit more grabby, a bit more awkward, their style of play is going to suit them. You know, we're not playing on Trent Bridge on a shirt front now. We're playing on used pitches. The two pitches for the semifinals are going to be used pitches. The pitch for a final is going to be a used pitch. So that really brings them right back in it. There's lots of 1992 vibes. It's a bit of a cliche, but it instantly comes to you out in Australia. And how the hell did Pakistan get through? They were dead and buried twice, really, once they lost to India and then lost again to Zimbabwe. There was no way back for them in the tournament. It took a remarkable victory by the Netherlands to get them there. I just got a feeling that they are gonna get through. And not and I don't mean spawnily. I think they're just set up for this kind of situation on these kind of pitches. They got terrific bowling attack and they've got a pretty unremarkable batting side. But they've got two quality players right at the top of the order. And if they play the circumstance right. I think they could, it wouldn't be a shock, but I think they could win it. You know, it's like, what is it? 55-45 is T20. So, you know, New Zealand are probably just favourites, but I can see Pakistan winning it.
1: It it really does feel like the last, the remaining games now are a complete complete 50-50. If you told me I woke up a week from now and any of those four teams won the tournament, I wouldn't be completely shocked. I think the thing that's been fascinating is England showed in their final group game against Sri Lanka. And we talked about it at the last T20 World Cup as well is how different chasing a total is in a World Cup as opposed to just a random series in the middle of, you know, just yeah. thrown together at the end of a test series or just before a test series. Suddenly, 150 looks like an absolute mountain to climb. I guess, Finney, that's just the pressure of knowing that if you don't win this game, you're out. And England very nearly made a right hash of chasing against Sri Lanka the other day.
0: Yeah, I've I've heard a few contrasting theories about... Um, what happened there, I suppose. You look at the way that England have played their cricket and the luxury that they have in being able to bat so deep. The aggression that they showed through that innings in the chase could be commended in some circumstances, but then there's the element of needing to manage that chase and manage the pressures of that second innings. And that's where the cool, calm, collected head of Ben Stokes really shone through and showed his importance to the team, especially when you're getting towards the back end of the tournament, but certainly I think the pressure of a run chase and you know how quick things can seem to go whilst you're under pressure, I, I think that, that that's why we could see those middle-order slogging them up in the air, basically. But I think that they'll have learned from that. You'd rather that happen in that game than in the semi-final, and hopefully now if they find themselves in that situation, they've learned from their mistakes and they can just manage that run chase um, as opposed to seeming quite frenetic through the middle of it.
2: But you know, that was such a weird game because it followed both innings, followed a really similar pattern. And I was watching that with Hartley and Moran and Burratt we were having a quiet night for once. And it was so strange how, while the ball was hard, it was going to all parts in both innings, both Sri Lanka and England, per seven, eight overs. Fantastic. The the actual game-changing over was Adil Rashid bowling the fifth over in the power play, which went for two, I think, two, maybe three runs. And that was a masterstroke, I thought, by Butler and really well bowled by Rashid because while that ball was hard and, and there was any pace on it, it was flying. And then yet, weirdly, once it was sort of eight, nine overs old, it just got so soft. And I was, like, I was talking to Hartley about this. She said that these... These balls on those pitches, and they're being flung into the ground really hard, are designed to get as soft as possible, as quickly as possible. And you looked at the back end of both those innings, and nobody could time it at all on tired pitches. And that's why I think that teams that have got adaptable bowlers and exceptional, that have either exceptional pace or exceptional variations are going to be really interesting. So I think the batting side of it it's not—it's not going to be less important, but it's going to be about who's going to be the most bold right up front in that first seven, eight overs. You've got to maximise. You've got to get as much as you possibly can if your bowling attacker has got any weaknesses. And that's—that's that's going to be there's going to be peril because that was an extraordinary game. You know, I mean, both sides basically went at tens for the first six, seven overs, slightly less in the case of Sri Lanka, thanks to Rashid, slightly more for England and that was it that was what that was a different
1: it was a, it was a game of two halves within two halves it was the strangest it was the strangest mm. game of cricket i've ever seen um, obviously at the time of recording it depends when you're listening to this but there's injury worries over mark wood which would be a huge huge blow for england if he's not available for the semi-final because he's bowled exceptionally he's also rapid quick and he's the only rapid quick bowler that england have got and rapid quicks proving to be very useful as it has done for decades uh, Sam Curran's just a world-class operator now. He's got that experience in the IPL. He seems to just know how how to bowl in pretty much every single situation in the game. I guess the best thing that England have got about their bowling attack, Norcross mentioned there the weaknesses of some bowling attacks, Finney, is that they've got so many people they can chuck the ball to. I mean, Moeen Alley's been bowling one over a game, it seems. Livingston, as the tournament's gone on and as the pitches have been used more and more, is being bowled more and more. Butler's got an embarrassment of riches in a way when picking a bowler, which is what, Some of those other tides in the semi final don't have that luxury.
0: Yeah, it can be slightly confusing, I think, as a captain when you've got so many, when you've got so many under your belt. But I do think that the seven match series in Pakistan would have helped Joss understand who to turn to when. I think when that series was concocted, everyone was saying, oh, it's too long, it's going to be too monotonous. But I think it's actually given Butler the opportunity to figure out who are his go-to guys in certain situations. So I think now the fact that he turned to Adil Rashid in the fifth over the other day, I think he'll have learned that over the course of the last two months that this team have been together. And I think that that will help him make better informed decisions when it comes to those crunch moments in games. So I see that as a real big positive. And I think as a captain, you can never have too many bowling options because in any one game, your best bowler in the whole tournament could get absolutely whacked by someone who's just got his number on that day. Um, And it's important to have the flexibility to be able to work around them.
2: He has been really, he's been really flexible. And the only time it went wrong was actually, I think, when his bowlers let him down. If you think about it, England have only really been poor, poor against Ireland. And that was when they misjudged how to bowl at Ireland in the first six overs. And then they misjudged how to pace a chase with with DLS in the background, actually, what Butler's done is shown such flexibility that Stokes might bowl an over the first over of the game. Sometimes he doesn't. So he he, he mentioned it like Moeen Ali came on, didn't he, in one game because he had a he had a feeling about a match up, and he just went for it, and it worked. His hunches are coming off because he's understanding what his bowlers can do, and I think that's a really really encouraging sign. Of course, in a game of T Twenty they can still go pear-shaped because you can put on the right bowler and they can screw it up, like Stokes did, actually, when he bowled the first over against Sri Lanka and his second ball was a drag down on the hit that's going for six every time. Don't do that. Don't bowl there. Oh, i say that's <laughs> always going for six. But, but you know, that's not the captain's fault. The the idea was still the right idea. Um, I think that, in a way... As we get into this other end of the tournament, what Butler's going to lean into a little bit more, especially in Adelaide, because that's where England are playing their their game, it started to show signs of spin being really annoying. Right? There's little bits of turn showing, and he's got Livingston, he's got Moeen, and they're quite long straight boundaries, quite short uh, width boundaries, and Adil Rashid. So he's got that flexibility to throw in a bit more of Livingston, and a bit more of Moe if he wants to. And Sam Curran has just been kind of matchlessly intelligent. I think. He's I think he's been the smartest England bowler on display throughout this whole period. You know, the seven games against Pakistan, the three games against Australia, and through this World Cup campaign, he's just where England don't have Topley, they have at least got Curran. They'd like to have them both, but you know, he's making up for it.
1: I mean, he's he's been so impressed with Sam Curran, and I've said it a million times, I'm the biggest Sam Curran fan in the world, but it's worth mentioning he's come off the back of a long injury, the longest injury of his career so far. But also he bowls with the intelligence of somebody who's 35. I mean, he he just bowls so intelligently, and he also bowls bravely. He's not quick by any stretch of the imagination, but he uses the short ball so well which is brave on some of these short, short wide boundaries that we've seen in some of the grounds. And also, he doesn't, he, you know, I watched, for example, he ran in and bowled, attempted a slower ball and bowled a wide. And a lot of bowlers' head would be a little bit frazzled by that, but he ran straight back in and bowled the same ball again and delivered it perfectly because he backs himself to get it right more often than not.
2: A great! If you look at where Sam Curran goes for more than eight in and an over, it's usually when he's been hit for one six and he doesn't normally go for ten. It's really strange, you know. If he bowls a bad ball, it goes for six. But he recovers in that over. He doesn't, you know. He'll give up a leg by and a couple of singles. After that, it's he's a he's just a terrific player. That's not not underrated. But I give you when he was seventeen, I saw him play at the Oval, and Gareth Batty was the captain, and he was even then. He was like forty-eight years old. I mean, obviously not <laughs> literally, but he might as well have been, and. Um Curran stood at the top of his mark and Batty came to tell him what his field was going to be and Curran was having none of it and set the field and Batty actually mentioned it afterwards in the press conference that Sam said what field he wanted and, it, and I gave him the field and he was staggered by the confidence and the awareness and the cricket intelligence of uh, Curran basically to know what it is that he wanted at that moment and he's had that obviously all his life he's in some ways, a lucky bloke, isn't he? He's, he's he's unlucky in in very crucial way that his dad died tragically young, but he's also steeped in cricket from a cricket family, and has thought about cricket from from you know the year dot, and it shows in the way that he plays.
1: He's a proper competitor, isn't he? That comes across that he he has he does, there's no hiding with Sam Curran. He wants to be in the in the thick of the action. like there's some people who just wired differently. We mentioned Ben Stokes in, in in a run chase and he seems to be the best chaser that England have in all formats because he seems to enjoy knowing what he has to do and that the team are relying on him. And Sam Curran seems to be in that category of somebody that just enjoys the battle. Do you think other players that you've played with over the years, Middlesex, Sussex, England, who just, when the chips are down, you always want them in your corner? They seem to raise their game? I think Joss
0: Butler is probably the, you say Stokes is the best chaser that England have had, but I I think Joss Butler is just so special when it comes to managing a target the amount of times that we've seen him single-handedly win England and ODI by batting with the tail uh, I think is something that is really special and sets him apart from other people because he doesn't only just manage the situations he can be completely destructive in those situations as well so he's probably the one that sticks out the most and I think Another one, a slightly rogue one, but who was amazing at managing situations like that as well Chris Rogers, the Australian who I played with at Middlesex. I don't know if you guys remember, but we, we chased something like 480 against Yorkshire in 2000.
2: Joe, Joe Root was captain. I
0: think. That was Root's first yeah. ever game as captain, yeah. <laughs> um, and we chased 480, and Chris Rogers got 270 or 230 not out um, to win us the game. And yeah, watching him go about that was probably one of the finest things that I ever saw
1: firsthand. That is one that sticks out in the memory to me, especially. I, I think that's, um, yeah, I remember that now with Joe Root, wasn't it? That he, didn't he Basically, when he got made England captain, that was pretty much the only other first-class game he had to go on his CV. But he did very well as England captain when it finally came around.
2: Well, he, de- he declared, of course, hadn't he? And, and then then he famously declared ahead of against the West Indies and lost them then. Never declared again in his entire <laughs> life, and <laughs> never will.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't blame him at all. I don't blame him. Um, well, they promised to be two belting semi-finals. Obviously, we can't go into too much detail on them because there's a good chance that by the time you're listening to this podcast, those games are now over. But either way, four brilliant cricketing sides in the final. Um, obviously, England are going to win. I've said it from the start of the tournament, and I've heard nothing to. I've seen nothing to change my mind. Mo and Ali said the other day, in other tournaments, we've been brilliant the whole way through and falling at the final herder hurdle but this time he reckons it's perfect because they've just done enough and now they're going to play their best cricket in the semi-finals and the finals so england are going to win comfortably and i'm very much looking forward to being on this podcast next week celebrating a fine england victory
2: um a couple of things Um, that we need to get sorry so just 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 quickly before we do uh, have we have we spoken since the extraordinary bangladesh india game because this is a this is a thing that I found really quite bizarre. I was on commentary at the time. and I just want to get it off my chest somewhere. I did it a little bit on the BBC, but i could got get it off my chest now. So if you recall, India had scored 185 and they basically won the game. Um, Bangladesh were never going to chase that. But Lytton Dash came out and played one of the most remarkable innings of this World Cup. It was 59 not out, uh, a total of 66 without loss after seven overs. And then the rain came down. And the rain continued to come down and continued to come down. The problem was that, of course, with their being seven overs gone, Bangladesh were now ahead of Duck with Lewis. So, if the game was rained off, then India would lose, and they'd already lost once to South Africa. So, to lose again would put them in extreme peril, getting through the semi-final. And uh, as it was raining, I went outside and did a match, a, a rain report on the BBC. And I was outside. It was still raining when a cover was removed. A tractor was taken around with a rope while it was still raining. And the moment it stopped raining, the stumps were put back in and the game restarted in 10 minutes. And the result was that Bangladesh's target was much higher and in more overs than it otherwise would have been. And uh, unsurprisingly, they lost. I mean, they made a very decent stab at it litton Das slipped off the second ball, came back for a second run. He slipped off the first ball when they came back actually. But he slipped again when coming back for a second. And I just felt this is I'm not making in any sense an insinuation that this was done for India. But this is not the not the way to make get cricket matches back on is to say, well, we've got to get this on for the crowd and suddenly just restart games while it's virtually still raining. There needs, there does need to be some decorum about this, regardless of what the global, worldwide audience is. I've never seen that happen before, and I thought well, if you're
1: if you're not willing to make that insinuation, I will because it was ridiculous. (laughs) I not the most obvious insinuation ever? (laughs) (laughs) And I know, well, I'm not going to do that. I know (laughs) that you're employed by BBC and BT Sports sometimes for cricket, and that the BCCI run world cricket, but I'm not employed by any of those people, right? So I don't give a shit. It was ridiculous. It would only have happened to India that they went back out and played there. As you said, Das fell over twice when they came back out because of how slippery it still was. If he had done his ACL or broken a leg or something to that effect, then there would have been absolute uproar about it. It was ridiculous. I've never seen a cricket match get back. No, I get that it's a World Cup and there's a bit more external pressure to get these things on. But how many times have we all stood here and moaned about players coming off for bad light or light rain during test matches over the last couple of years and being frustrated by it. And then you saw them go back out in those conditions. I couldn't believe it. And I'll tell you this. It was
2: immediate. The thing was that it was, was immediate. immediate. And, and, not not, not and, and, doing an inspection,
1: okay, we'll come out in half an hour. They were back out there like you wouldn't believe.
2: Yeah. It, it was. I've never seen it happen before that a cover is removed while it's still raining. And I've never seen it happen before that a rope was being taken around the outfield while it's still raining. What, all those things happen when the rain stops normally, right? And that's all I will say. That was that was my observation. Another observation and it's about Bangladesh as well is how unlucky was Shakib Al to be <laughs> given out LBW because I, I genuinely think that the third umpire I don't like say I say this. I, I can only assume the third up, I looked at only one of the two images that were available to us because the ball hit his bat, didn't it? I mean, <laughs> it so hit his bat that every commentator I've spoken to, and there were a bunch of people do on commentary at the same time for a bunch of different outlets. All of us had the same reaction when we saw the, the, the replay, which was, oh, right, he's hit it. And then the players started to move back into their position because they all assumed it hit it. And then suddenly we're looking at ball tracking. And I just, I guess what I want to say is Bangladesh, you poor, unlucky bastards, you have had some stiff things happening to you. Because on other days, you know, Al Hassan is not out first ball there, and they're 72 for two, and he gets a run, you know. Bangladesh could get a decent score. He's a very important player for them. And his, Vinny, I is noticed you're being very ball. quiet.
1: Is that because you're terrified that if you start suggesting that India were helped out in that match, that little red dots are going to start appearing all over you as BCCI snipers try and pick you off? I think the players
0: and the fans and the organisers are just keen to play as much cricket as they possibly can. So, yeah, I think there needs to be the Griff sensibility about the way that... The games
1: are put back on, but everyone wants to get them up and running as soon as possible, as long as it's safe. I mean, I feel like that was disappointingly diplomatic of you there, Finney. Now, you've had your run-ins with, with the Indian cricketers over the years, haven't you? You've, you've made a few enemies in in the Indian camp over the years. Come on, talk to us. Who have you upset? Oh, well,
0: there's a lovely photo of um, me in confrontation with M.S. Dhoni and Virat Kohli, probably the two most powerful Indian players <laughs> of the last 10 years. And I'm being dragged away by my arm by Jonathan Trott, who usually quite likes a bit of aggro. um, But even he was telling me to walk away from it because he read the room and read the script. So, yeah, (laughs) when you look at the number of reasons why I never played in the IPL and never really, even though I did well against India every time I played, especially in ODI cricket, um, there are probably a a number of different reasons to that. And um, and yeah, a couple of my run-ins with the Indians, Suresh Rayner, in a in an ODI match at the at the Wankhede stadium uh in Mumbai yeah there's a few over the years but it was all um it was all competitive fun and we'd, we'd um all chat after the game and laugh about it like naughty
1: schoolboys so yeah it was all good you've got to pick your battle you don't go for Dhoni and Kohli go for Ashwin they all seem to dislike him as well pick you got to pick your no, battle he's
2: wonderful no 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 don't go after Ashwin he's brilliant Oh they never God! Seen, here we go. Another they never stupid seen... law, but oh God! You oh. should be allowed to man, cad.
1: Yeah, okay, <laughs> sure. Uh, right, well, chaps, I'll see you next week. With well, England, will be World T Twenty champions. Uh, in the meantime, Norcross, you get some sleep, and uh, I'll see you next week.
2: I can't. I've got to do. I've got to do something else now. It just goes on. I'm on a bloody treadmill. Like I say, I'm a trained actor, reduced to the status of a. Um, We'll leave on that.
1: Sports Social Podcast Network.
2: Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered jumbacasino.com.
1: It's my
0: little escape.
1: Now Judy's the life of the party.
0: Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon.
2: Whoa.